0: welcome to elixir talk the podcast where we plan very little in advance except for sometimes our speakers and something else that i have forgotten because i'm making this up as i go along my name is desmond bowie and i'm joined by chris bell
1: i was just assuming you were going to re-record that but let's do this so hey desmond (laughs) how's it going
0: you you know in a lot of these episodes you're like oh we're going to edit that out in post-production and we never
1: do so is it just like I haven't actually listened to an episode back in a while, so there's probably just a ton of episodes out there in the wild where I'm just saying we're going to take that out in post. Yeah, there's several. Wow. And you're just like, I refuse to do that. I mean, I think it's good for people to see us as we naturally are. Idiots. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's our natural state. So there we go. And this is the, the most professional Elixir podcast there is. Um, this should be the only one you're listening to, of course But if you're listening to any others, you should uh, tell them that they don't have the same level of professionalism that we have So, that's what sets us apart
0: That's right, if they're not idiots, then they're
1: not Elixir Talk <laughs> That's it uh, And, so, how's your week been?
0: Um, Jeez we've been pretty good um, first uh, First week of summer As you know, went out to the beach, got myself a proper sunburn. And um, so here in Venice, we have this thing called Muscle Beach. Have you heard of Muscle Beach? I have. Yeah. So for our listeners that aren't aware of it, Muscle Beach is an outdoor workout area on the beach in Venice where Arnold Schwarzenegger used to work out in the 70s. And it was the heyday of bodybuilding uh, back in those days when it was a total thing. And the first time I got here, I found out about this and thought, what could be dumber than a bunch of meatheads working out on the beach. And then one day I decided to do it myself. And it turns out it was pretty nice. It's really nice being outdoors and, I don't know, lifting weights. And it was actually totally cool. So anyway, fast forward to uh, yesterday or whenever it was, and they had this whole Memorial Day thing with a bunch of competitions and physique things. And like uh, there was a, a competition for vintage swimsuits. It was mostly the women that did that. I don't know why men don't wear vintage swimsuits. Anyway, it was, um, delightfully trashy. Yeah, it was pretty weird. But, you know... And that's how you got sunburned? Yeah, I spent two... Well, we only spent a little bit of time there, and then we went out to the beach proper and laid there and then fell asleep.
1: Very nice. I am also extremely sunburned. I can barely move my arms because I went for a long bike ride and wore no sun cream. You, You know you use your legs on a bike, not your arms. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, there is that kind of bike, a rotund, right? The recumbent. Recumbent, that's it.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that's that. So, I don't uh-huh. ride on of those, so I just somehow only got burnt on my arms. No, those look super dangerous. So, yeah, there we go. So, that's, that's our weekend of a non elixiring, clearly. <laughs> So, Maybe we
0: sh- should we keep elixir,ing or should we keep not elixiring? Well, oh, I think
1: it's important to take a break every once in a while. You know, like I think it's important to have time out. So there we yeah,
0: go. no, I completely agree. No, it's super important.
1: And you I know what? That- I, ha- I have no segue. Do you have a segue? No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're just going to go what <laughs> a segue to introduce our, our our guest that's on the podcast today.
0: Ah, uh, yes, we have a guest joining us today who's had to put up with. Uh, our hilarious jokes for the last few minutes or so, and he's done so with a straight face. Um, we're very excited to welcome Ben Marks to the show. Ben is a um, software architect at Bleacher Report, uh, author of the book Adopting Elixir, and um, fellow founding member of the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. Um, you've probably seen him giving talks. He's giving a training at the upcoming ElixirConf. Uh, hi, Ben.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. Nice to see you all. Good
1: to see you as well, Ben. It's uh, So I first met Ben many years ago. I think it was like three years ago at Elixir Days, which uh, we were both speaking at. But I haven't seen you in three years. So this is a great reunion.
2: Yeah, it's been a while. I can't believe that it. it's been three years. Yeah. Um... I thought for sure we'd see each other before then, but it's nice to have this time to to catch up and and chat.
1: Definitely. So we can shame Ben right now because he hasn't been to an MPEX in New York, so that's what we can – but it's totally okay. We just like to do that
2: to all the guests, you know, who haven't been there. No, I would definitely like to go. Everyone who's gone has really liked it Um, and said it's one of their favorite conferences, so I have to get out there one of these days. It's just usually um, an inconvenient time for me. There's always something in May but uh, maybe next year
0: there's also mpex la which happens in february <laughs>
2: that's true well, you're...
1: that's true and it's much closer yeah. yeah did you expect this you just come on you get double like whammyed on the mpex fronts you know i mean i feel like you kind of have to expect that right <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> so ben it's great to have you on the show um As an author of a book, Adopt an Elixir, and also as an Elixirist who's been doing Elixir for some time, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction to uh, what you've been doing at Bleacher
2: Report and how you got into Elixir in the first place as well? Uh, Sure. Well, I'll just start with how I got into Elixir. Um, I was at a a previous job... um, I was doing Ruby, but I was really interested in functional programming. So I was trying different functional programming languages and I really liked Clojure. Um, so I learned, I guess I learned sort of the fundamental functional programming concepts in Clojure. And I started to look around for jobs in Clojure because I really enjoyed the language. Um, and then my boss at the time, I was working on this sync system and was writing it in a Ruby, and he mentioned, hey, have you heard of this language called Elixir? And I was like, eh, no, what, what's this? And I checked it out, and you know, I saw that Jose Belim was behind it. So that was, that was quite interesting. But I saw that it was also on top of Erlang, and that sort of turned me off because I was like, oh, I don't really want to work with Erlang. Um, and this shows sort of my naivety and, I don't know, maybe prejudicial nature against something that I didn't know um, because now I quite love Erlang and all of the – Nice things we have with Elixir are largely because of Erlang. So I started working on that um, on that sync system, and this was—I mean, I don't—I don't think Elixir reached one point. Oh yeah, uh, Phoenix was very, very well, way of, of far from for 1.0 And then it turns out, and then I found out that BR uh, was doing Elixir, and I applied for the job there and started working here. And I was determined to to work with Elixir, so I started. Uh, we, at the time, you know, we were breaking up our monolith, and it was a transitional time at BR. So, um, fortunately, we had great success with the language, and our the first few projects that we wrote in the language really paid off, um, and that convinced us that the language uh, was worth going into, even though it was still very early on uh, with e- Ecto and Phoenix. Um, I mean, I think when we started with Ecto, change sets weren't a thing yet, That's so strange. that gives you an idea of how how old the or how early on we were with this.
0: So tell us a little bit more about that, because um, even now, companies and individuals face what seems like an uphill battle for getting for adopting this technology. But you all, your company jumped in a long time ago. So someone thought that this had a lot of value to offer, even at that stage.
2: Yeah, I mentioned this in the book briefly, but uh, Michael Schaffemeyer and Matt Pruitt, who are two developers here, uh, really championed the language Um and I think it was just sort of uh, by happenstance that um, and you know this was before I was here so I can't say with much accuracy whether this anecdote is true or not but Michael really pushed the language and it was at a time that we needed to find a way to handle traffic spikes and the initial uh, the initial test proved fruitful so we just sort of ran with it and what was bleacher no. report written in before
1: it, it was Ruby okay so quite a classic transition i guess at this point
2: yeah and and for us i think this is actually one of the strong uh selling points of phoenix is that you don't have to worry about um otp so much in the beginning you can you can sort of write um Maybe not optimal elixir at the beginning because you're learning the language, but uh, behind the scenes, the the beam takes care of a lot of the, the things for you. That, you know, with crashing and restarting and these things you're not even aware of. So that was a real boon for us because you know you, I look back at the code I wrote four years ago and it's I mean it just looks like Ruby that was sort of you know smushed into elixir, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time we've refined that, and I think that's probably true for a lot of companies as well. So is
0: your was your transition kind of a straight convert rails to phoenix stateless um restful web app?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we um the decision to uh move to sort of a service oriented architecture, I don't know if it's microservices e enough, but um that was sort of made before I arrived, so uh, the first few applications that we wrote in Elixir were, were sort of ports from from the Ruby monolith. So we were able to um, sort of duplicate the functionality. So we already had an idea of what things should do and how they should do it. Uh, There's also, there also a lot of uh, knowledge lost because at the time, you know, people had left and sort of the senior people left in a new wave of people came in. Mm-hmm. So we sort of had to uh, unearth some of the hidden things um, but that's sort of the way that we've kept it. Like we don't do any uh, any stateful stuff, even now. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, most of our apps are just. Um, yeah, I think that's that's correct.
0: So, what's been the big payoff? I mean, switching one VM to another, switching one programming style to the to another. Is it just that the language is faster? I mean, if you're not using a lot of the like Erlangy parts of it, or kind of relegating that to whatever Phoenix gives you under the hood um how much advantage are you taking of this platform
2: i mean for us you know you have the multi core support having was a huge win um you know in, in the past when we had, had a traffic spike and i mean i think this is sort of uh indicative of how ruby apps work is it you know when you when you have when you run out of cpu you add another one um and you know multi um multithreading in ruby is fraught with some hidden Problems, and I, th- I think probably everyone who's worked with, with multi, with multiple threads in Ruby has at least one instance of where they didn't behave as expected. Uh, but with Erlang and Elixir, you get the multi-course of Dart built in. Um, and also the way uh, one of our, our early applications was the push notification service. You know, and push and, and Erlang was designed for telecoms, right? Lots of lots of connections doing simple things, holding a connection between two people talking. Um, and push notifications are similar to that, so that was um, that was something that, that proved to pretty much you know the uh, both our, our internal users, the people who program uh, in the app, and our user our external users, um, when you can see that our push notifications are consistently the fastest. That's a pretty easy selling point. So, you know, if, if you say that, well, now we can serve content in 50 milliseconds and instead of 100, uh, 150 milliseconds or 500 milliseconds, that's not, you know, that's not as tangible when, but when your notifications are quicker, uh, that's pretty tangible. And also, we're, we're doing it on, uh, on the, much simpler service um, than we had before.
0: So, um, I mean, when you're transitioning this, there were not a lot of resources in those days for learning the language, for learning about how to design systems. So how did you figure this out?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, this is true. Like I, When we started with Phoenix, when you look Phoenix Models, you would get modeling agencies in Phoenix, Arizona. When you looked up Elixir, you would get like a... Elixir potions from I think it was Elder Scrolls or some other fantasy game, so you know you have to be very specific with your um, with your choice with with your searches. But uh, we actually before we started releasing this into production, we had uh, consultants from Erlang Solutions come come by and and uh, sort of just make sure that we were doing things in in a decent way. And uh, for the most part, uh, they they were um, they gave us a thumbs up. They gave us some tips on how to more effectively you know do. To, to handle um uh, concurrent requests and concurrent processing, which which uh, helped out a lot, um and fortunately you you had the wealth of Erlang libraries been around for a long time. I mean for for monitoring and metrics reporting, we used Exometer. Um, yeah, for let's see what else. Most of the I would say most of the early libraries that we use for interacting with things are probably Erlang libraries. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, uh, what, what would you say has been some of the biggest challenges, like internally at Bleacher Report? You've you're kind of years into this this migration at this point, right? Is it three years? Three years in?
2: Yeah, no, I think it'll be four years in October. Oh, um yeah. yeah so, I, well, I mean, so one of the things that that has was a real benefit of us um, adopting Elixir early was the fact that we had no idea what we were doing, one, and the the language was still growing, um, and Phoenix and Ecto were, were not even stable yet. So one of the things that I wanted to do early on was to make sure that we kept up to date. So refactoring became a central uh, tenet of how we develop with Elixir. Mm. So this means that, you know, uh, we get... To, that uh, we're all of our applications, I think now are on Phoenix 1.4, they use Phoenix, they all are on Elixir 1.7 or 1.8, and we have regular refactoring. You know, we, if you look at one of our, um, the first apps that we wrote, it, it started, you know, very early on in the Phoenix lifecycle, um, and the functionality hasn't changed that much. We've added a few features, but if you look at the internals, they've almost, they've been rewritten probably two or three times. Um, always with the goal of improving latency or or uh, reevaluating the way that we've done things, which I think is also a core architectural tenet that we have is that, you know, we look at architecture as ebb and flow or as, you know, I guess compared to like a garden where, you know, there's a time of active development and there's times where you let things go and then you dig them up and, and try them again. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, so how many engineers do you think have written Elixir app Bleacher Report
2: over the last four years as well? Um, well, so when we started with Elixir, I think there were about three of us who were really excited about the language, mm-hmm. and then there were a few people who were sort of indifferent, and there were some people who, you know, you know, we, we were hired to write Ruby, we want to write Ruby. Um, but as over time, as it became clear that Elixir worked out really well for us, um, the sort of indifferent people became excited, and then the uh, you know the people in opposition also started to warm up to the language. Um, but I think if you look at that app that I was talking about over the last four years, I think 40, maybe 40 people, 30 people have touched it. I'll have to, have to check. But, um, but the idea also is the way that we structure our teams is, uh, that you should be able to work on pretty much any of our backend apps. We also, you know, we, we have cross-functional teams, um, and we don't, we don't do full stack. So if you work on uh, the backend, you're going to do backend for the most part. Um, so we try to structure our apps as uniformly as we can. You know, they all use the same dependencies. Um, and um, that means that people can do tickets on different apps, which I think helps with you know, knowledge transfer and, and all that kind of stuff. So
1: is everything in Elixir there?
2: Do you, you still... No, we, we still have Ruby. Okay. Um, uh, we use uh, C Sharp. So um, our stats engine is in C Sharp. Um, and that was, uh, we, that was a company that was acquired and it works well. Um, and, um, so for the Ruby stuff, uh, sort of the, the idea at the time was once we decided that we were going in Elixir, um, if we wanted to, if it was a consumer facing app, then it had to be in Elixir. Um, otherwise, you know, for some internal admin apps or something else, then if you want to write Ruby, that's fine. And we, we started using Kafka pretty heavily about a year, year ago. Um, and at the time uh, the Elixir and Erlang drivers just weren't comparable um, to the Ruby drivers so some of our uh, Ruby consu- some of our consumers are in Ruby um, it was also a transitional time with Kafka I think it was it was either 0.8 or 0.9 but there was a time when, when it auto-routed some stuff for you um, which we'd have to do manually with the Elixir client or the Erlang client um, and we didn't want to do that uh, but now that now that we again have been using Kafka for about a year or so, we're reevaluating how we use Kafka. Um, we've been using Broad pretty heavily now for consumers on the Elixir side, uh, as some of our existing Elixir apps also use um, Kafka. So again, yeah, you know, we we take a look at something, we evaluate it for a while. If it works, we continue with it. Otherwise, we we try a different solution. Mm,
1: nice yeah that's very cool and i mean so you, you literally wrote the book on a, adopting elixir right that was a project
2: i think you did was that last year or the year before uh, well i mean jose and bruce we all sort of contributed sure. that was our shared project right um uh i guess it was last year i don't know time has no meaning anymore i know right <laughs> it feels <laughs> right like now. that right now what <laughs> yeah <laughs> when did that happen i think it was yeah i don't know just days, I don't know. Especially in San Francisco, the, the the weather's the same every day, except in the summer when it's cold. So it's really hard to remember if something was in October or February. <laughs> I,
0: I can relate to that. Only instead of cold, it's warm. Yeah, yeah that's
2: true.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, well, yeah, Sorry. The the three of you wrote the book together, um, and it, and Bleacher Report was uh, really championed as one of the success stories in the Elixir community. I would say, right? Um can you talk a bit about uh the book and some of the topics that you go into and uh you know, some of the challenges other companies have had uh, when adopting
2: Elixir? Sure. Um I think that one of the things um it was sort of happenstance because uh I was talking about Bruce with uh, talking to Bruce Bruce Tate about the book and then Jose um started talking to, to Bruce shortly thereafter and then bruce was like oh you guys should talk and so uh, Josie and i talked and 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 we all decided to write the book together uh, but the idea was that it wasn't a guide on how to use you know the language because like, so you already have programming elixir you have elixir in action um, the idea was that if you're a you know a cto or a lead or an engineering manager and you're hearing all these things about about the language and what why people are using the language but you don't really know how to approach it or, or how to get your feet wet, or even if you're a product manager or something, someone who's just curious about technology. Um, so we wanted to present it to first, you know, why would you use this? As, you know, what's the business case for this? Why why would you invest the time and resources to write uh, to rewrite your stack to use this language? And then from then we also, you know, it was very important for all of us to re- that um, to explain how to build a team because again. If you have, you know, this works well, but you don't have a way to implement it. What good is that? And then the the latter section of the book, the latter sections of the book are about uh, best practices for use with uh, with Elixir, and then also about about some of the features of the language itself. And one of the things that we wanted to do as well was to include interviews from people who would use the language um, at as many different places as we could find, uh, because we wanted this to be a, sort of a, a community consensus on how to do things. And it's just nice also to see. So, you know, if you see that this company is using a language, um, then that might convince you that it's not just this company. Uh, you know, it's not just police report using a language, and the guy, one of the authors, writing the book about it.
0: So, you mentioned um, community consensus, and that's interesting because I, f- I think the consensus is constantly evolving at this point in the technology so how have you seen the consensus change is there anything that you particularly disagree with as far as the direction that things have gone and um, is there something that you would do differently or other advice you would give people
2: um, I mean I think that uh, you know don't don't try to go all in with all of the advanced sort of Erlang Elixir things like um, maybe you don't, you don't you don't need to do hot code reloading, reloading probably but if you do, then you can work your way to that. Um, maybe you, um, you don't need to, like, we we haven't done, um, when we started out with a language, we weren't sure how to deploy it, so we just threw the application into a Docker container and then deployed that. And that's worked out pretty well for us. And again, now that we've, uh, now that our system is, you know, performant and scaling and all this, now we're reevaluating we're the way that we do that. So I would say that just take things as an iterative process. Don't think that, you know, you don't need, um, I don't know, distributed Elixir out of the box, there's a good chance you probably don't need it at all um, unless you have the scale um, that some companies do. I mean, Discord is a great example of, of probably taking the opposite approach uh, where they said, you know, this is, we have a very specific use case and we have a highly performance um, and, you know, stringent requirements for what we need to do. So they went a, an ambitious, you know, a very successful route as well.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, like, as someone who's actually just uh so i I actually have uh left a company and have joined another startup and making the case right now for adopting elixir and you know i am deeply curious about like what you see as like being the the biggest advantages and probably the biggest disadvantages as a early stage company
2: for for doing that i mean i would say that you know without knowing the specifics of your company, like I would, I would find it hard to believe that I was, like if I were starting a company or joining an early stage startup, I would you know, advocate for Elixir for, um, I mean, I think that for us, the, the, the supervision model works out amazingly well. Um, the idea of not having to defensively code for every possible exception and rather just handling a few expected errors and then crashing and restarting, um, And I mean, I think that a lot of even some of the misgivings that we had in the beginning with the language in terms of maturity, in terms of library support, uh, those are being addressed. Um, And as far as, you know, finding developers or finding people who want to work with the the language, it hasn't been an issue for us. We've had um, we've had people who we know from the Elixir community um, who joined uh, over the last couple of years. So, you know, they come they bring a lot of experience with them. But then we've also just hired people because you know they they know Ruby, they know Python, they know I don't know .Net, whatever whatever it might be, um, but they have a willingness to learn Elixir, and it's it's actually and the I say that takes a couple of weeks, just a couple of two weeks, three weeks, maybe depending on on the sort of the seniority of the of the person who interviewed. I mean, we hired someone probably about two and a half years ago, and it was his first. You know, he was a front end guy, and he um, he really wanted to work with Elixir. Um, And now, you know, he's working on probably, you know, most of our high touch apps and has done a lot of really interesting things. And uh, so it's it's been really cool to see, um, you know, people people grow with the language as well.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean, it feels like today there's such a plethora of choices in terms of languages, you know, like I think a lot of people compare, like, Elixir adoption to Ruby adoption back in 2004, 5, you know, that kind of time, or even a bit later when Rails was around. But um, I think when I look at the where Elixir is compared to Ruby then, it feels like, you know, now we've got, like, you've got you Go, you've got, like, Node.js. And I know back then we had, like, we were talking about Python and C sharp and Java as like the real big ecosystems. But, um, would you agree with the sentiment that like now there's so many options for building a web stack that we're in kind of different times?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, of it's just happenstance, right? Like if, if my, if my then boss had not mentioned Elixir to me, maybe I wouldn't have heard of Elixir. Um, but I think that Elixir makes a compelling case, um, Especially with the fault tolerance and error handling Mm. that, um, or you know, uh, uh, restarting to good states and supervision um, that is unique to uh, to Elixir. Mm. But yeah, but but it's but there's uh, you know so many languages to choose from, and then it also seems that people like anything else, they they try one thing for a little bit and then they switch to another. Right, which feels
1: bad for companies <laughs> at times. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would want to work somewhere where there's like that many different languages floating around, it seems like, especially in smaller teams. I think like clearly it sounds like you've got a lot of, uh, you've had a lot of advantages from having uh, kind of smaller teams who are focused around one language and can be very productive across those
2: apps as a result. And like, I, yeah, I, mean, I think, get... oh, sorry, go on. Oh no! In an ideal world, our, I think our whole backend would be Elixir, uh, just because, I mean, that, it's just much easier to deal with. You don't have to switch, you know, your mental model stays the same. Um, it makes everything that much easier to, to deal with, but um, it is the way it is. Yeah. Not, have it <laughs> I, was,
0: I was talking to someone this morning about larger companies that are adopting Elixir for various services um, to keep senior engineers around keep them engaged because people work in a thing for a while and they get kind of tired of it, or maybe it's not, it's no longer the optimal choice for uh, the problem at hand. And so companies kind of toss them a bone and say, oh, well, we'll let you use Elixir for blah, blah, blah. And I can remember a couple years ago, well, this is more than a couple years ago, uh, buying into the polyglot argument of, yeah, you know, use something like a message bus. And that means you can write services in whatever language is the best fit. And I would, in those days, I was like, cool. Also, I want to write an app enclosure and I want to try something in Scala. And that was a younger, um, more exuberant, uh, Desmond. And now, like, I would write pretty much everything in Elixir if I could. And, well, I mean, I guess I can, but the advantages of using a more particular language are much diminished for a lot of the problems. Like Elixir is a good enough general purpose language. I would not use it for heavily scripted stuff, like a bunch of shell scripts. Um, But otherwise there would have to be some particular application that needed C or Mm. um, it needed, I don't know what else it could need. TensorFlow. I don't know, like some particular data science thing, but otherwise I mean the argument of oh well I could just spin this up quickly in Node like it's really easy to spin something up in Phoenix, so why wouldn't you use it?
2: Yeah, I think I, yeah I think that's an interesting point because you know Rails has this uh, you know it's good for MVP good for prototype but I would argue that Phoenix is just as good like you know you can get it up, get it up uh, very quickly just I mean uh, and then you get the benefits of uh, of all of the other nice things that Elixir
1: has. Mm. i'm convinced at this point like so i did a bunch of research recently into like node having a look around orms having a look around web frameworks i'm just like i think ecto is a fantastic like database library you know like i don't want to say ORM because it's not a data mapping library um and i think phoenix is a fantastic web framework as well and like the documentation in the community is incredible i think you know there's just so many pluses for me for like going into elixir and yes i think there's obviously a lot more than just those things that i mentioned but i think we're starting out on a really good foot where it's like you're buying into this community where it's like really thought about the solutions and there aren't like a grab bag of like a million different frameworks or libraries to choose from it's like there's very particular things that you use and i don't think that's to the detriment of those either i think it's actually Uh, I I think it's actually good because it's allowed the community to focus and build some incredible tools. So I want to jump in here because
0: here we are on an Elixir podcast (laughs) going around saying how awesome Elixir is. And okay, great. Let's um, consider the fact that we might be totally wrong. So in the spirit of that, um, I want to ask you, Ben, um, you're operating Elixir at reasonable scale, right? So what's been painful about it? I mean... What's been difficult about the language, about the technology, about scaling uh, an application or a team? Let's see. Don't Um, say nothing. No, no. (laughs)
2: Well, in the beginning, uh, deploying was difficult, Uh Uh, monitoring was difficult, Uh, Exometer was incredibly difficult to get the dependencies resolved early on because. You know, you'd have uh, one dependency would would version it with the, the Git one dependency would version it uh, with something else, and uh, to the point where they Pinterest uh, released the elixometer, to mm-hmm. just which just wrapped the dependencies um, and then added a few other things. Um, let's see what else has been difficult. Um, there was an issue we had with uh, when we first moved one of our high trafficked endpoints. Um, and we were seeing some craziness with a pool where randomly it would, where the workers would get lost, or, or um, and that was very difficult to pinpoint. Um, but the hacks had the same issue, so we, we followed their uh, recommendation, with, which was to disable the pool, um, and that solved that. Um, what else has been difficult? I mean, uh, one, oh, since we use it, we have a distributed system. Um, uh, it was. We had to, we didn't uh, we've over the last I don't know six or eight months actually uh, Greg mefford uh, who's on our uh, on our team um, he just released a blog post today about um, how we use distributed traces with spandex mm-hmm. um, and that that was really helpful too because we have you know all of our services call out to some other services we try to you know to keep that as independent as possible, uh, but when we had traffic spikes, when we had unexpected errors, we would have to sort of manually go and measure the traces or, or sort of piece together what happened. Um, so ad- adding distributed traces was, was very helpful. Um, and that's a whole whole other thing um, where it seems to work because you had open tracing and then you had open census. And when we were evaluating the two, um, there was an open census Erlang client, but um the Spandex client worked out well because we also use Datadog, um, and now I think they're merging into something called Open Telemetry, mm-hmm. um, which is nice to see that they're merging instead of two competing standards. Um, but that's been a, that's been a huge win for us. Uh, the Kafka stuff was a bit frustrating because um, you know, you have Java, Go, .NET, which are sort of first class citizens on uh, Confluent. I mean Java and Go for sure. I think the .NET client. I think Confluent also makes one as well. And so there was a lot of discussion around, well, why are we writing this with Elixir when we should just use Java? We can find, you know, we have, we have in-house C sharp developers. Why don't we just do that? Um, so that would, I think, uh, library support could, could use some, um, uh, you know, some maturity, I guess is, uh, because, it, you know, and, and it is showing it because we are now using Broad for a lot of our consumers for Elixir. Um, but and I think this is, you know, to talk about the foundation a, a, a bit. I think that's one of the goals of the foundation is to find ways to properly support uh, these libraries and to, to help them ensure. Mm. And you're referring to the Erlang uh,
1: Ecosystem Foundation there as well then, Ben? Yeah, that's correct. Do you want to tell us about your involvement with that just while we're on that topic? Oh, sure. What a segue, right? Um, <laughs>
2: so Desmond, <laughs> Desmond and I are on the, Desmond's the chair for the uh, marketing committee and I'm on the, I'm on the marketing committee. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. It's, it's pretty cool because we have people from uh, WhatsApp. We have, um, uh, and people in, in Europe. We have uh, Miriam uh, Pena. Um, and yes, I think we have, people and Benoit from, from France. So we have quite the international group, which is, I think reflective of, of the community as well, which is pretty awesome. Um, but the idea is, is to help publicize the foundation and to, you know, work with, uh, as many different people as we can to, um, promote the ecosystem. And maybe Desmond, you can add uh, uh, some better words to that.
0: Uh, pitch time. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, specifically about marketing or about the foundation in general?
2: Nah, I mean, you're the chair. You can say whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> and you're also the co-host of the show, so you can definitely say whatever you want.
0: I guess that's true. Um, so marketing has uh, two pieces to our strategy. One is promoting the ecosystem within the ecosystem. So talking about the interesting work that companies um, are doing, li- uh, the new libraries that come out, and also promoting the work of other working groups, um, as Ben mentioned the observability group is trying to consolidate how we measure things uh, in the VM and not just come up with a bunch of new standards. So talking about the stuff that they're doing and the work that's coming along the pipe is one of the things that marketing is tasked with. And the other thing is expanding the community, which to us looks like going into other tech communities, going into other scenes um, and talking about the platform as a viable solution, which means talking not just to engineers who might be working in Java or JavaScript or C Sharp, and turning them onto it, but also talking to decision makers who could be engineering managers, they could be CEOs or VCs or government officials or university professors. Um, I heard today that Elixir is now part of the curriculum at universities in Europe. And I didn't really dig into this to find out which university. I think it's in Sweden. It's probably in Sweden if it's anywhere, probably Uppsala or something. But makes sense. that's cool because that's exposing the next generation of engineers to this, And it would be nice if some people started writing apps in Elixir when they are like 19 or 22, mm. as opposed to in their 30s, like the rest of us.
1: Sorry, um, Ben, on the topic of like spending time in other programming communities, is that something that you've done? Um, and is there like any communities in particular that you've been, you know, keeping your eye on?
2: Um, I mean, not really uh, so much. I mean, I did go, like, I, I have a fascination with Rust um, and also because of the of NIFs and Erlang Elixir. So, you know, you can, where, where Erlang might be slow, you can use something like C or Rust, which is, you know, safer C, I guess, is their sort of tagline, um, or safety, I guess. Um, so I went to RustConf last year uh, with uh, Sunny uh, Scrogan, who's one of our developers here, and it's interesting to talk to them to see about, you know, how they use how they use rust would they what they think about the language uh, elixir if they'd heard of it so um but no i haven't i haven't done any outreach per se beyond just talking to people or people when people find out that i'm a programmer they're like oh what language do you use elixir oh what i've never heard of that is that like java <laughs> well no, no not not really so um that's been another way to sort of talk about just informally so yeah.
0: side question um or unrelated question, where well, I said related question, that's I thought of it. So Ben, you're using Elixir at scale. Do you use NIFs in your code? Has Erlang ever been too slow?
2: Uh, we use Jiffy um, on one of, I think, just one of our applications now. So Jiffy is, you know, JSON parser, encoder, decoder. But it has a CNIF, but no, we have not had the need to write any of our own NIFs. And, you know, as, as someone, I would strongly discourage <laughs> people from, from doing, from doing that, mm-hmm. uh, it, it worked. If you want to, you know, at your own company, do whatever you want, but, um, there'd have to be a strongly compelling reason for us to write, to write NIF.
1: Did you read the, uh, discord post about the sorted set they wrote in rust?
2: Yeah. And again, that, I mean, I think for this, for discord's uh, use case, do they obviously know what they're doing and, and that works out well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I suppose, well, I'm not going to commit to that, but I think Rust is a better choice than C. if you're going to write a it. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, what I'm trying to get at is when people say, oh, Erlang's slow. I wouldn't use Erlang right. for something that needed speed. And my response is how much speed do you need?
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think
2: Erlang, for what we need, we have lots of, you know, we have millions of users who want to get information about some sports thing that happened. Um, so which is i guess similar to a telephone call right there we're not doing a lot of calculation on the fly we're just serving content um so i mean our traffic's very read read heavy uh, even with our our new features that are you know more user generated um, interactions and and content um i think that uh no erlang has not been an issue for us in terms of, of speed but you know if we were processing doing lots of number crunching, then yeah, I could imagine that that might be, uh, that might be something where Erlang might not shine like it does for us now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you Desmond? Have you been to any other communities recently, like, spread the good gospel of Elixir? Not recently.
0: No. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot recently um, with the foundation getting off the ground and trying to figure out what the strategy is. And I mean, I've spoken at other meetups around LA, Um, spoke at the Ruby meetup, I guess that was a year ago now. But I wanna go back to the JavaScript meetup and talk about Live View. Um, I wanna go to the Ruby meetup and talk about Live View. Um, I'm interested in UX right now. I'm interested in, okay, so we have this Live View library. My thing is everything should now be real time. Okay, well, how do businesses and how do designers think about um, real time, like what are the ramifications for users and how we think about front ends? So that's that's kind of that's on my plate next, as opposed to singing praises
2: at a um, Python meetup.
1: <laughs> ben, what's your take on LiveView? I feel like we have to ask this to every guest
2: right now. I think it's great. I mean, um, I've only used it for some small small things, um, but. Again, like if you know if we need to write like a simple admin app or um, I don't know some, some internal tools that we would need to use JavaScript for uh, in the past, I don't see why we wouldn't use LiveView. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, since since we have since we do have you know front end developers and back end developers, uh, then it doesn't have the same use case for us. But because uh, again, I don't think that they would say, oh, we're not going to use React, we're just going to write everything in Live I don't see that that, that would happen. But um, but I think in terms of building sort of inter- internal tools for monitoring various things, I, I think it's, it's a great great use case uh, for us. And then you know you can see all of the things that that people are building with with Live View. Um, so you know I think uh, well, it, yeah I, I don't know how how you could be disappointed with it. I guess.
1: Yeah no absolutely. Do you think do you think it's the like one of the killer things that brings more people over to this community?
2: I don't know. I, I think you know. Time will tell because I imagine if people are skeptical about Elixir, then they're going to be even more um, skeptical about Live View because it's like, oh, here's this language, and now we're doing it without JavaScript. So I think you would probably have to buy into to Elixir before you. Um, I, I I think like it could be a supporting point to, to move to Elixir, but if if you're unsure about the language itself, I don't know that Live View would be the thing that would would bring you over.
1: Mm. What's been like in your experience, what's been the biggest pushbacks that you've heard every time you bring up Elixir?
2: Um, hiring developers. Like I talked to a company a couple weeks ago. Um, they, you know, they, they were sort of asking how we've hired developers and, you know, I explained that you just hire good people and you train them. Um, and I, there are other companies who have done that strategy and done it successfully. Um, I think people maybe aren't convinced that, a language will have as widespread adoption as as Ruby or or, um, or Python, um, but I imagine, yeah, you, know, you could have said the same thing in 2005, 2008 about about Ruby or Rails that they wouldn't have had this widespread adoption. And you know, here we are. Um, so I, I mean, and I think I, I don't remember who posted this on Twitter, but uh, but people have said that. Uh, Companies also consider it a competitive advantage. They don't want to advertise that they're using Elixir because they don't want their competitors to to, to, to take advantage of this language. So I think that was
1: Joe Armstrong, right? I think that was one of yeah. his tweets. From, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: which, uh, yeah,
1: sad. We uh, Actually, on that note, uh, we were actually doing an, uh, a fundraising exercise for Uh, raising money on behalf of Joe for the American Lung Association. So we should put a link to that in the show notes while we're on that topic as Mm -hmm. well. So, um, that's great. Desmond, do you know how much money we've raised to date? Um, I haven't looked at it. We, we did about a thousand bucks at, um, at MPEX on, in one day on the, on the Saturday, which is fantastic. So, um, and it's really worth noting that, uh, if you are going to donate and that would be massively appreciated, um, uh, your company might ma- actually match the donation as well. So, yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. had to had to do that last time. We we had to cut in this, uh, an intro to it. So happy that we got that in there. Yeah, it's it's so
0: interesting to me that a company would not talk about this kind of technology because it's not something they've proprietarily developed. <laughs> it's not some secret thing. This is like whatever. Unless you're Ericsson, there. Yeah, unless you're Ericsson, but that <laughs> that horse has left the barn, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that a company would not advertise it is it's just it's just such a different mentality. I'm not hating on these companies' decisions or anything, but it's very different from what we're used to, uh, which is people singing from the minarets about the, their technology choices.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. I, yeah I mean, sorry, go on, Ben. I mean, we've certainly not been shy about that. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Right. Right. And it seems to have done quite well for Bleacher Report, right? Like, it seems like you've. Like, again, like you've been one of those success stories in the community and kind of carved out a space for yourselves and, you know, and been the poster child of success there.
2: Yeah. And, and I think um, it's been a competitive advantage for us actually in hiring because people want to work with the language, they want to work with it at scale. So, even, you know, I mean, everyone knows this around work, but I don't care about sports. So the fact that I'm working for a sports company is sometimes a bit curious to me. But, um, but whenever people ask, "Oh, why do you work for a sports company?" One, it's because you know we have scale; we get to use the language that I want to work with. And you know, it also helps that you know, we we do have a great team here. Uh, everyone gets along really well, um, and yeah, we have we have a lot of uh, a lot of fun together. And I think we trust each other um, when we develop software. Um, but it's definitely been a competitive competitive advantage for us in hiring mm. um, hiring good developers from from wherever, and especially now that we work. We, we do, um, remote, I think we've hired mostly remote people over the last year and a half or so. Oh Uh, yeah. So our team, I mean, we have people all over the country now. It's pretty cool.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How does that, um, work for you? Like working remotely?
2: Well, I work in the office, um, since I'm in the Bay, um, but, uh, I think it's been good. I mean, again, I think we apply the same approach to integrating sort of remote, remote, remote people that we did with Elixir, where we, we don't expect to get things right the first time. And we encourage a lot of feedback from, from our remote developers, what works, what doesn't. Um, and I think that, that we're improving as we go along. And I think just understanding that what we do now might not be what we do in six months, but for now, this is the, the best way to approach things, and we'll reevaluate it as we go. Um, but it's been great because we've hired great people from all over the country, and this is you know, not just on the back end, but on uh, all parts of the stack. So I think we have five or six people in Tennessee, maybe four or five in Kansas City, uh, Florida, uh, lots of places, mm-hmm. Idaho, Utah. Yeah. Nice.
1: And uh, one of those people is also Chris, Chris Keithley, as well, right? That's correct. He's one of our Tennessee. People. nice and uh i guess there's another segue just doing it constantly today um you're actually given a training with chris
2: as well do you want to tell us a bit more about that then sure um so this is i think the third time we'll we we'll have done this training but it's basically uh, creating resilient systems with elixir uh so what we want what we um this is something that people haven't really explored too much um in terms of using distributed elixir um uh, i mean that's that distributed Erlang aside, um, because it, you know, it has a longer history with, within companies. Uh, but if you're starting out with with Elixir and or you do want to try distributed Elixir, um, this is sort of an intro intro to that. So we start out with sort of the building blocks of Elixir. And then we we uh, walk through the day. Um, I think we're going to change things up based on some feedback we've gotten over the last couple of times. And also, we just want to try some different things. But the idea is to have an understanding of, of how distributed systems work in Elixir. Um, and then hopefully by the end of the day you'll have enough to see if if distributed elixir makes sense for you for you or your company and some resources to, to try things out further um and then we'll, we'll see where, where we go from there as far as other trainings go mm.
1: nice and you pitch that as a beginner training as well right like do, do you are you expecting people to come in with a good understanding of elixir before they take on
2: that course yeah, that's correct. I, I guess when I say beginner, I mean beginning with distributed systems. Right. They should under you know you should be able to to write Elixir, understand what you know Elixir is. Um, and uh, you yeah, know with trainings, it's always hard because it's really hard to pinpoint um the right level. You know, like uh, I think last year or maybe it was the year before, James Fish and I did a OTP training a couple of times, yeah. and we did it for two days, and some people took. The very basic intro to Elixir class and then like having ne- never used the language before and then took our class the next day. And so that, that was a bit, I think that was a bit, um, there's a bit too much of a jump there, but we, you know, we try to, uh, we try to encourage people to work together and, and solve the problems together and, and then present their findings. So even if you don't really understand what's going on or, or understand everything, hopefully you can, uh, get the gist of it and, and find out where, where to go from there. Amazing. Uh, we'll put a link to the
1: training in the show notes. Um, and I'm guessing you'll be at ElixirConf then and be around
2: for the conference itself? or So I'm going. I'm just going to be there for the training. So um, Aoi, uh, my partner, and I are expecting our first child at the end of July. So um, I'm just going to fly out to do the training and then come back. So Aoi's parents, uh, Aoi's mom will be here. Uh, she's from Japan, so her, her parents are going to fly in, but her mom will be here for, I think, six weeks just to sort of help us out um so i don't feel too bad about leaving for for two days to do training um and then when i come back uh aoi's mom will will head back to japan and then aoi and the our our child and i will find out what it means to raise a child i like guess
1: <laughs> is there well, congratulations that's amazing is there a yeah, training for that or uh... <laughs> well we are taking childbirth classes okay so i guess so <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a whole other endeavor uh, that you're going to need to, I don't know, ramp up on pretty fast, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know how to change a diaper, but apparently you figure that out, so, or someone shows you how to do well, that. Well, it's kind of
0: like hiring Elixir developers. You just find competent people and then you train <laughs> yeah. them on the job.
2: Yeah, but there's no take home test for this, right? The take home test is just... the diaper.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'll be running it in production that's uh that's for sure <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah in real time
1: amazing yeah. well uh hopefully people can get out there and go to the training and attend it sounds like a great course um and it's called it, it's the th- is it the third time you're doing it did you say that,
2: that's
1: great oh ah, amazing yeah so very refined at this point uh We've done it multiple times, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, um, yeah, it sounds great. And hopefully some people who are listening to the show can get out there and uh, participate as well. So, yeah. Cool. Um, ben, is there anything that you would like us to plug? Uh,
2: anything you'd like um, us to mention? Well, no, I, I think you you covered it, right? We um, talked about the foundation. We talked about um, adopting Elixir, We talked about the training and talked about, you know, how, uh, you know, what, what BR is doing and, and, um, you know, and all of that. So I think we've covered it, but, but you know, but just to reiterate, like it's been, you know, I, I think uh, I mentioned this a few times talking about how in the beginning we were sort of uncertain about the language, um, but we really had a lot of support from, you know, the directors and our, our VP and to, and they gave us a lot of, of leeway to run with the language. And I could see in another, situation where they might have been like uh, this is this a workout so I think that's that's been really one of the really nice things about working here is that we get a lot of freedom to try things and uh, we have we generally have the support of people people love us to, to run with it and the results have been great so hopefully that continues which I imagine it will
1: yeah I, I think it's so great to have um, all of you, kind of in the community, promoting what you're doing and talking about it so openly as well. So thank you for that and uh, for all of the talks you've done over the years. It seems uh, like you're either at a conference or speaking at a conference every time I look, Ben. So it's pretty cool. Well, well the baby is going to change all that. So, <laughs> so this is the yeah, this is the last of an appearance for a while, I guess. So yeah, We'll have to come to Impact
2: next year. Exactly. You Cle- can bring the clearly. child,
1: like you can bring a baby along, and we can That's find good. Some- I'll just
2: yeah. I'll put him in the, the baby Bjorn or whatever and speak with him. With him.
1: That, that would be a first. <laughs> that would definitely be a first. Yeah. Be very cool. Hmm. There we go. Well, Ben, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for everything that you've been doing in the community, uh, past, present and future. Um, it's great <laughs> to have you here. And yes, thank you for being here.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, it's really, I think uh, one of the great things about the Elixir community is that people, you know, you meet people at different conferences and you make these new connections that you wouldn't make otherwise. And it's awesome to see it grow and uh, hope to see it grow more. So thanks. And it's nice to see you again, Chris. It's been a long time. Yeah. And, it's it's uh, great to see you as well. Yeah. You know, Desmond and I see each other twice a month now. So
1: yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Just the meetups. Yeah. Oh, actually, the oh, for the left stuff. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. Uh, Makes sense cool well uh thank you so much again ben and uh if you like this episode um you can give us a rating or a review wherever you're getting, you're getting this podcast today uh, and please tell your friends about it um we obviously are very invested in trying to spread the word in the, in the elixir community and beyond not just about the podcast but about the language as well um and obviously having people like ben on the show Hopefully we'll help with the things like that. But uh, yeah, we, we really want to see this this language spread and this community grow as well. So um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. Uh, and you can even submit a question that we may or may not answer, but we might. Um, so please do so. You can do that via GitHub, which is github.com forward slash Elixir Talk, forward slash Elixir Talk. So it's that time, Ben. Uh so, as always, folks, we do our little outro, so we're going to give that a go here today. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and keep elixering. Keep keep yeah, mostly.